Hello and welcome to another episode of Purvis Versus. My name is Eric Purvis. I'm a massage therapist, course creator, continuing education provider, curriculum advisor, and advocate for evidence-based massage therapy. In this episode, we welcome back Susan Shipton, who is an RMT in Toronto, Ontario. Susan and I have a discussion on scar tissue massage, treating people post-surgery, and the importance of being comfortable without having all the answers. If you enjoy this episode, please rate it and share it on your favorite social media platforms. You can also support my podcast by making a donation by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash helloob. Purpose Versus can also be found on YouTube, so please check us out there and subscribe. Thanks for being here, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Purpose Versus. I'm so excited to have my good friend Susan Shipton back. She was here on an episode a number of months ago uh, where we talked about cancer and oncology massage, which is her area of interest. But today what we're going to do is we're going to continue a conversation that we had on Facebook Live back in the middle of January, which kind of went viral, I guess, so to speak, for in our industry. Anyway, you get a few thousand people watching something. That's that's a lot. Uh, So I'm hoping that this this conversation we have today will be a continuation of that. And also for those people that aren't or aren't on Facebook, it might be give them an opportunity to listen to us discuss the topic of scar tissue and the role of massage therapy in scar tissue. This is such a interesting topic and one that we hear a lot of people talk about, but I think it's important for us to really unpack kind of what we know and what we don't know. And so today we're going to talk about some of the research and what this means. And we'll probably leave this conversation today with a lot of, well, it depends and well, we don't really know. Uh, but it's better than saying, yes, we know for sure when we're just making, so we're not just making stuff up. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. Thanks for having me again, Eric. Glad to be here. Yeah, so why don't you just fill us in a little bit about what you've been up to since your last uh, episode that you're on with me. Um, Why don't you tell a little bit about uh, your course that you just finished running? Thank you. Yes, I launched my online continuing education course for RMTs on oncology massage. Uh, it went really well. I'm I'm so happy to say that the the first time through, I think, was a success. Obviously, there are some things I'm going to change and tweak a little bit. But um, I had 14 RMTs from Nova Scotia to British Columbia join me for four evenings, and um, and the feedback was really good. And it was, I think, good for all of us also to get together and to and to have an opportunity to connect and to share some stories about our clinical experiences working with people with with cancer and that's important because so often the job of an RMT is can be kind of isolating where uh, we're working in our treatment rooms and we're not necessarily having an opportunity to talk with other therapists who are in a similar kind of of work not just about um, clinical advances or research advances but also the impact of this kind of work on us and we do need to acknowledge that sometimes it can be hard to work with people who are suffering and who are ill and who may sometimes be near the end of life because of their health conditions so I think it was I think it went really well I'm offering it again in May uh, four evenings in May and hoping to uh, get a similar crowd this time amazing amazing well yeah you uh you might be too too humble to share, but you did share with me off air some of the lovely feedback that you had. So why don't you just tell everybody, just because I asked you to, uh, you don't have to, but I think you should. Uh, why don't you tell everybody what that your that one quote was that you got from one of the learners? Um, one of the learners 
said that the course was grounded in evidence, guided by compassion. And I was so touched by that. And I think really, I can't aspire to offer anything greater than that. So whoever that was, the feedback was all anonymous. I honestly don't know who that came from, but thank you very much. That warmed my heart <laughs> and, and is also going to continue to be a guiding principle for me as I go forward and, and create continuing education for other therapists that it, it has to be grounded in the evidence and then guided by our humanity and our compassion as we share how we, how we interact with other humans. I love that so much. And that's such a, an important thing is, is the, the grounded in science. And we'll talk a bit more about that today because it kind of uh, segues nicely into our conversation about scar tissue and that there's a lot of, but the term that I like to use is kind of evidence adjacent kind of stuff that's out there where there's, uh, you know, there's, you see a lot of courses and webinars and workshops, whatever you want to call them, where people are often quoting research or using research to kind of support a premise but then when you actually look at the research in depth, it doesn't actually support what it is that they're saying, or it might even contradict it. And we see that a lot. And this is obviously a bigger issue than just the CE industry. I think it's it's an issue with the, uh, the research literacy and, and critical thinking in, in our profession. And that is just something that is not part of our entry level practice and something that, you know, obviously people like you and I are, are heavily biased and wanting it. To, to be more prevalent with the, the research evidence. But um, that's why we have these conversations today so we can try to disseminate our interpretation of the evidence uh, in a way that is hopefully meaningful and hopefully not using it in, I don't want to say an abusive way because it's abusive, uh, hopefully not using it in a way that bends the truth about what it really says. That's that's important. Uh, so let's just start off this conversation because this uh, this is on scar tissue and then the role of massage in, in scar ma tissue management. What do you think are some of the biggest beliefs about scar tissue and massage? Well, we're all taught that with our hands we can break down scar tissue, release adhesions, and thereby release the patient from the pain and restriction and dysfunction that they've incurred as a result of the scar tissue. And the evidence is indisputable that we cannot change the scar tissue. So that's a myth and a narrative that I'd really like to see go. I think that it can be harmful if people are coming to us and we're saying, well, this is because of the scar tissue from your surgery or from this big injury that you incurred, but don't worry because we, with our hands, can change the scar tissue. We, we really need to drop that narrative from, our, from our, our vocabulary. Yeah, I guess the question I have too is, I mean, I, I haven't taught in a school uh, or in a long time since I've been involved with a specific school here in BC where I am, but as far as when I, when I encounter people in courses and whether they're new grads or not, they, still say that they learn about breaking down scar tissue and they learn about cross fiber frictions and they learn about, you know, and any little kind of lump or bump that you feel when you put your hands on people, that's probably a, like a myofascial adhesion. And these are kind of terms that are so they're used so many times, so often in our profession, they become like a truthism, you know, it's like you say it enough times and it becomes reality, even though we know that that might not be reality. What are your thoughts on why these myths are so prevalent in our profession? 
Well, I think I think because unfortunately, our profession historically has not been grounded in scientific research. And so a lot of there's been a lot of surmising of what we think is happening inside the body and what we think is happening with our manual techniques and our interaction with our patient. Uh, and then these myths just get perpetuated and they go on and on and on. And then unfortunately within our profession, the science literacy is not a big part of our education. We're not, we're not taught um, how to read scientific literature, how to evaluate it for its strengths and its, and its weaknesses. Is this, um, is what we, we don't know how to go and check if what we think we're doing is actually supported by the evidence. And so that's another reason why these things get perpetuated because we're just not equipping RMTs with the skills to actually examine critically what we're hearing. Yeah, I, and I agree with that. I think one thing that we see too is there's just, obviously not a lot of massage therapy specific research like you know and and this is something i encounter all the time where people are like oh there, there there's no you know nobody wants to research this stuff there's no you know no one wants to put money into this thing because it's not pharmaceuticals like there's a lot of people a lot of excuses that people make why there's not a lot of massage therapy specific research on stuff that they think is important and i would say let's remove like the big pharma out of out of the conversation and let's look at say well maybe there's a a reason why science isn't doing a lot of research on, you know, breaking down scar tissue with her hands or that kind of thing. Because I think what ends up happening is that most of the scientists know that we can't change it anyway. So why would we try to do with it with research? And, and what's the, what's the purpose of that? You know, I think there, if you look at a lot of the, the, the biological plausibility of the stuff that people in our profession want to study if you just look at the basic science of it, it says a lot of stuff can't happen anyway. So I think a lot of the researchers are like, well, we can't change fascia. We can't change scar tissue. Uh, we can't, you know, um, you know, increase the length of a muscle, so to speak, with, with these techniques. So why bother studying it? Because we know that that can't happen. But people in our profession say, well, we want to study those things. There is so is the like problem then that as a profession, we're not accepting what the science says. I think a, a lot of that, I, I, I see that a lot. And I'm, obviously we're all biased and this is my own anecdotal experiences, but from teaching courses and having conversations with people and um, you know speaking at, uh, at schools and conferences and you know all the people I'm intera I interact with, I, I think that, that that's the biggest thing that I, I, I come across is that people just don't want to accept the science. And I think it's well understood uh, that when we, you can't change people's minds with evidence. You have to change it with experiences. And so when people are like, well, hey, I know what I do works. You know, when I put my hands on people, I feel things soft and I think feel things move. The person has more range of motion. They have less pain. So they just dismiss the scientific explanation for it. And they just kind of go with what they've always thought. And I think the thing that we need to really understand is that when you're questioning the science, you're never questioning the person's individual experience. Those are two totally separate things. So we can question the science all day and we can say the science doesn't support changing scar tissue, for example. But if someone has a clinical experience that they treated somebody and there was a noticeable change in the experience of the person's scar tissue, well, we're not saying that didn't happen. We're saying, well, maybe the reasons why those things happen are different 
And maybe that is a one that just happened with that one person. Can we say that is generalizable across the population? I would say probably not. And that's a big thing that, uh, I don't know if you found that in your course, uh, but some people will often question the science because it contradicts their experience. And I always mm -hmm. want to bring it back to say, I'm not saying what you're, what you're experiencing is wrong, but maybe the understanding behind it is incomplete. Mm -hmm. Or somebody might be attributing the effect to a cause other than what it actually is. Exactly. We know there are so many things going on um, physiologically, environmentally, psychologically, emotionally, uh, there are so many things that are contributing to the overall experience. How can we pin down for certainty that something was caused by one thing? We can't. Exactly. And this is, and that's a great point. And, and this goes to uh, the difference between kind of outcome-based massage and like mechanism, mechanism-based or outcome, sorry, science uh, that produces outcomes and science that produces uh, mechanisms of outcomes, right? So like w if you put your hands on somebody and you do something to them and there's an outcome, that doesn't prove the mechanism of the outcome. It just proves that or shows that this person that had this treatment had this outcome. Absolutely. What, what we see a lot of them is that if we pick on like the fascial research, because there's lots of that stuff out there, right? Where people do a specific technique or techniques on someone. And then the, the, the people being studied, the experimental group reported, you know, less low back pain, less disability, whatever. And they're like, aha, it's because I changed the fascia. Well, no, your research didn't show that you did anything to the fascia. It showed that, these techniques or this approach help this person feel better. All we know is that manual therapy that looks something like that might help people. It doesn't say that you changed fascia. Mm -hmm. And we see that a lot. At least I do. I see that a lot. And I have those, seem to have those conversations often with people in courses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To go back to your original question about why these, these myths are so, they have such long lives. It's not that we're egotistical, but in a way, it's not that we're egotistical and we want to feel all powerful. I think it's more that we all really want to believe that we can offer somebody some legitimate help. Yes. So it does come from a good place in us. Um, we genuinely want to be able to help somebody and we think that we can and we're eager to try and then we're, and then we're, we're eager to, to have that really positive effect and that positive outcome. But as we said earlier, we can also cause some harm in leading people down the wrong path and making them believe that we can do something that we can't. And then how we extrapolate from that as well. Yeah. That's a really good point, Susan. I think that when we look at it, we look at something like say, well, let's use scar tissue. We'll keep trying to keep it on, on theme here for today. What's it say to the person who's experiencing pain after surgery? Say they've had, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Say they've had a uh, mastectomy or something. Because um, I know cancer, you, you probably have lots of experience. Or you're probably, I know you have a lot of experience working in these populations. And say they've got significant scarring after the surgery. Well, what's it say to that person when they come in and say their therapist, who's very well-meaning and, and like you said, probably compassion, understanding. And they, but they say, yeah, you know, you've got the scar tissue here. If we can mobilize this and break this down, then that'll help with your cording or that'll help with your shoulder range motion. And say the person gets these treatments and they get a series of treatments and there's nothing there and nothing happens. Say it doesn't work. Then what's the person left with? Well, I think that they can for be... something else. Like yes, and I think that they can be left feeling quite angry. And remember too, that people are paying out of pocket. And 
and cancer doesn't 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 choose according to socioeconomic status. And so for some people seeking help during or after their cancer treatment can actually be quite an economic, quite a financial burden on them. And so if you don't actually deliver on what you say you're going to deliver or your treatment doesn't produce the results that you say it's going to produce, it can have an even broader impact on somebody where they think, oh, but you know, I've put a few hundred dollars into coming to see you several times and I can't really afford this. Um, and then obviously disappointed because they're not they're not getting the results that they have been promised. So I think we have to be careful. Speaking of mastectomy, um, there there are there are um, common side effects uh, to the cancer treatment that a lot of people experience. And I'm often honest and say this is not really well understood. For example, cording um, those visible palpable uh, lines that appear in and out of the axilla, down the arm, sometimes down the trunk. That is not well medically understood. We don't really know what's going on physiologically. It was really striking to me. One of my patients told me that she had been talking with her surgeon about having a revision surgery, which is quite common, where just little sort of little things are, are addressed. And when she was talking about possibly having a revision surgery, she said to the surgeon, well, can you cut the cords as well? And the surgeon said, we, we can't actually see the cording. So when they open up somebody's body, they don't see anything that looks any different uh, with somebody who has cording than in somebody who doesn't have cording. Cording is not actually a thing, <laughs> like, like a new anatomical structure or a change in the anatomy of that person that is visible to the surgeon's eyes. That I, was really striking to me. Um, having said that though, while I can't explain what's happening when somebody uh, experiences courting, and equally I can't explain why manual therapy can often help with the courting, very often, not always, but very often we do see an improvement in the person's courting um, as a result of the manual therapy and as a result of passive movement and active movement that we suggest that the patient um, use in between appointments, engage with in between appointments. Um, it probably does have something to do with scar tissue because it is always the result of surgery. It always comes after surgery. You don't see it in somebody who hasn't had surgery. It's associated with lymph node removal, um, and the lymph nodes are removed from the axilla. That is where usually the cording is, but sometimes it can be in the trunk. Uh, for example, if somebody's had a mastectomy and a breast reconstruction, sometimes you can see and feel cording running down the front of the trunk um, from under from the inferior aspect of the breast. So it does seem to be related to surgery. But as I said, I can't say with any certainty that I can explain what it is that's happening inside their body. And I'm quite clear about that. And people seem to people seem to accept that. Actually, I've never had somebody express frustration or anger that the medical community can't explain to them what it is that's happening. I think perhaps it's even better if we're honest and just say we don't really understand this. We don't really know what's going on. Why don't we try this? We know that in a lot of people, when we do this kind of manual therapy and blah blah blah, we know we. Why don't we try it and see if we can get some some benefit in you as well? That just sounds honest. And, and just like, so realistic, be like, we, we don't know, we can't make any claims we can try this. And you know what, my clinical experience, which is part of evidence-based practice is your clinical experience says this helps with some people. 
we could just leave it at that, right? Rather than making promises. And, you know, I, I, you know, every time we make these, 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 these kind of have these types of conversations, I almost always get feedback from somebody who's like, well, I've never once heard somebody ever say that. I'm like, okay, well, maybe you haven't. I don't know, but it doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean people don't believe and say these things. And that was it an absence of, of, of not hearing that doesn't mean it's not true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think one thing I, I read as we were preparing for this, I, I read a paper on axillary web syndrome recording. I think I didn't know that it was actually called axillary web syndrome, <laughs> but I learned something, <laughs> which is great. And they were saying that they thought, and it, again, it was kind of like, this is what we think it might be. And this was a, a, a research paper written in the last probably six or seven years. I'll try, if I find it, I'll try and remember, put it in the show notes if I can find it again. But to paraphrase, they basically said that after surgery uh, with removal of lymph nodes, they think that it might be doing due to increased inflammatory products within the lymphatic system, which basically causes a swelling of the lymph vessels. I, like, I have oh, heard I, that too, that, that, that some people sense. think that it might have to do with the lymphatic vessels. Mm -hmm. I also was very surprised to hear a very experienced, well-regarded therapist say that it was neural tissue that sort of gets involved in an inflammatory response and the creation of scar tissue. I don't think that that's true. I think that if it were neural tissue, people would report neural symptoms. They would report that burning, tingling, pins and needles, um, and nobody reports that. Uh, so I don't think that it is, it is nerves. I think it is more likely the, the lymphatic vessels. I would tend to agree that that lymphatic vessel sounds like the less wrong understanding. Mm -hmm. The neural stuff. Yeah. You're spot on there. You would see probably you should see some type of neuro symptom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So let's take a, let's take a, a little bit of a dive into kind of some of these papers which we discussed in the Facebook live I'm just going to kind of just bring some of the uh, information of that what they said in them and the first one uh is it's called the role of massage in scar management so this is probably one of the only ones I could find that actually talked about massage doing massage and scar and it's from 2012 and it was published uh, in the American Society for Dermatological Surgery Dermatological Surgery it's a hard word to say for me apparently and some things that we, we look at in this here is it's, you know, things that kind of the questions we want to answer, and that's why we look at the research is, does scar tissue play a role in pain? That's the one thing we want to look at. Right? Another thing I think, I think we should try and answer is, can scar tissue be changed? We kind of talked about that already, like, can't really change scar tissue um, once it's been formed. There is some evidence that says you might be able to impact it, but not maybe it might not always be positively in the early stages. Right. Uh, and the other thing, too, I think is really important for us to understand is does scar tissue need to be altered to return to function? Like does scar tissue actually need to change. Right. Uh, and so when we look at, at the research for so this one here and then, so to answer the first one about about pain, uh, we would say does scar tissue play a role in pain? Well, it probably does, because any type of we're talking surgery or tissue damage. There's going to be damage to the, the axons, there's going to be damage to neurons, which can create an increased nociceptive firing. So yeah, we could say that makes sense. Um, but just to, to look at uh, some of the, the quotes from this paper, and we're not gonna go into too much detail, but 
it says, uh, it says this, it says possible negative aspects of this therapy, so massage therapy, include, this is a very bold statement, wasting the patient's time if massage is not an efficacious treatment. Which is important, I think, what we just said about, you know, people being told that there might maybe we can do something that we can't. So we have to be honest, right? Because otherwise it is just taking their money and that's not really informed consent, I don't think. Um, it said there's also could be irritation from friction. And it says, too, that early massage should be avoided in light of evidence that mechanical pressure during early phases of wound healing promoted hypertrophic scar formation in a mouse model. And this is the thing I think we need to be really mindful of when we look at the extrapolating scar tissue research and then saying this is applicable to humans because it's a lot of the stuff, most of the stuff is done on animals. And we can't just say that it's that like if we see something positive in an animal study, we can't just say, ah, this is probably this is this is going to work for humans. We don't know that we can say possibly. But I would say in something like this one, you say, well, you know, too much pressure on the in and around the wound early on actually increases more scar tissue formation. Even though that, there, animals, have to that ask, should be something we should be mindful of that we don't want to, to facilitate. Yes. But there I have to ask, they're using the term massage therapy very broadly. And I'd like to think that any massage therapy would have the common sense not to do really deep, aggressive, vigorous shearing type massage techniques around a surgical site early in the healing stages that if any work is going to be done around the surgical site it would be light pressure it would be gentle you absolutely don't want to disrupt disrupt the healing that has to take place not just on the surface of the skin that we can see the surgical incision but all of the healing that's taking place underneath the skin uh, in the tissue I, I think it's I, I always like to think, the surgical incision that we can see is just the doorway into the body. And remember that a whole lot of tissue, and we might be talking about only a few centimeters, or we might be talking about a much larger measurable area, but that the incision is small compared to the area within the body, uh, the surgical field underneath the skin that we can't see. But, but to go back to my original point, I think we also need to think, what do they mean? Does the research paper describe the massage that was employed? Um, the type of techniques, the pressure, the, the amount of movement um, within the tissue that was incurred through the massage techniques, the duration of the massage, obviously. If it's on animals, then you can't really get feedback about how comfortable it is and use that as some kind of guideline for what it is that you're working on. Yeah, and that's a good point. And that's something that why it's so difficult to kind of take this information that we look at on you know, the role of scar tissue and massage or, or just any uh, or just the physical management of scar tissue in general is because when they, they use the word massage, like, what does that mean? Like, it hasn't been qualified at all. Right. Like, like you made some you made some great points there. So it's like, OK, so it says that we shouldn't probably use it because this might result in more scar formation. But it doesn't say like, does it mean like, could you put your hands over it? And just kind of just like hold the skin a little bit, maybe to make it feel better. Like we know touch is analgesic. So, and we know that massage is useful to alleviate pain. And even in this research paper here, it says that, 
you know, through uh, endogenous opioid peptides or neurotransmitters, uh, we know that massage can help in, in pain reduction. That's great. Uh, but I think that it's, in order to really say what massage can do for scar tissue, I think we need to have research that is a little more specific. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. You make a great point there. Well, as you said, there's been very little research into massage therapy and scar tissue. Um, in my VODER training, of course, we did talk about um, utilizing manual lymph drainage post-surgically, but manual lymph drainage by definition is a light pressure, superficial, low velocity technique. I wondered when you read the quotation out and they talked about avoiding massage therapy because it might create hypertrophic scarring post-surgically in the, in the um, early acute stages or the subacute stages, I wondered if they were thinking of the more vigorous frictions. And as I said, I hope that no massage therapist would do that on somebody <laughs> um, early in the post-surgical healing phase. And this is a thing that we should probably explore a little bit here is that, you know, there's the, there's the, what do we do with people, acute injuries, post-surgical, for example, or, 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 you know, say it's a, like a muscle tear or ligament, right? Where there's, there's going to be scarring that's going to be formed, but we can't see it. If it's a tissue internal or not internal, but like a, well, I guess it's internal. Sure. Why not? Uh, below the skin that we can't see, if there's a tissue injury there, then for sure we should, you know, that we know that there's going to be an inflammatory process. We know that's going to form scar tissue, but we shouldn't ever try in those early phases to, to change it, to try to manipulate that because we might be increasing more inflammation. And when we look at some of the other research here, um, you know, uh, this one other paper called physical management of scar tissue, a systematic review and meta-analysis from 2020, you know, we look at like when you're, if you put more strain and load into tissue, that is acutely healing, it can actually result in more fibrosis because you're disrupting the healing process, potentially. Light tissue, stretch, you know, gentle range of motion stuff, which is in our, our scope of practice, probably not. But I think the one thing that we that we probably see more of in our profession, now correct me if if I'm if my thoughts are are might be uh off here, but what we do see is we see these people with these long-standing pain syndromes. People that suffer with, say, chronic low back pain or shoulder or neck pain or hip pain, whatever, you choose your body part. Those people are often told that they are full of adhesions or it's because of a scar, because of an injury they had, you know. Oh, you have low back pain? Well, it's because you, 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 you strained your hamstring, you know playing, you know, running track or whatever. And that's, that scar tissue is pulling on your low back. And that's creating this like whole series of, you know, biomechanical dysfunctions, so to speak. And then all we need to do is we need to just break down the scar tissue. So some people are subjected to some seriously aggressive stuff to try and break down scar tissue that is like in a muscle or perceived to be in a muscle. And we know there's no evidence for that. But that is something that people are subjected to all the time. Have you seen that a lot in your practice too, Susan? Like, I haven't seen that a lot. I, I do have people who come to me specifically um, to have the scar tissue worked on because they have also heard that narrative and they think that that's something that massage therapy can can offer. Right. And it can sometimes be hard, talking about being honest, it can sometimes be hard to counter somebody's expectations <laughs> if they've come with a specific thing and then either they're disappointed because they think 
the problem is scar tissue. They think massage therapy is going to get rid of the scar tissue and they think then they won't have any problems anymore. Or they think, well, you just don't know what you're talking about because this other therapist told me that you can break down scar tissue. So I'm going to go back to this other massage therapist. And of course, everybody can make their own choices. Yeah. That, and that's a thing too. That's such a good point you, you brought up is because if we are the person that's telling a different narrative or a different story than what the person has been told by other well-meaning healthcare providers or something they've maybe read on the internet. And we're saying, yeah, you know, like we can't change that scar tissue. Uh, it doesn't mean we can't help you, but if you, if you, if you kind of dismantle that, that belief and, you know, I would say, do we need to change those beliefs? Maybe only if they're negative and an impacted behavior, do we want to maybe have a conversation about it? We should never try and force those changes. But if someone's like, you need to break down my scar tissue, that's the only thing I need. And, and you're like, well, I can work on your hamstring. I can work on this body part, but I, I, I can't change that scar tissue, but maybe we can do some stuff to make it feel better. If, if they think you're crazy and, and, and because you're saying something different than everybody else, I think it can make a lot of us uneasy because we're worried about losing that client. We're, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we want to please them. And that becomes a, that becomes a delicate balancing act. I, I feel where, you know, how much do we challenge their beliefs? You know, are they, do we need to? Well, you need to tread lightly because you, you really have lightly. to have formed a good trusting relationship before you start to challenge somebody's beliefs too deeply. So yeah. to come right out of the gate, challenging somebody's beliefs is not going to be productive in the long run. No. I think, though, another thing to mention in this discussion is that believing that a problem is only because of scar tissue or only because of one thing is rather myopic. As we talked about earlier, there are so many things that are going on in somebody's experience of pain and dysfunction. And so, as you said, why don't we talk about some other things that might help you feel better? And that brings in, um, that makes the conversation wider where we can talk about, so if somebody has an injury then uh, and they're experiencing pain, maybe there's some secondary muscle tension that is a normal reaction to experiencing pain. And so maybe we can we can help relax some of those muscles. We can help calm your sympathetic nervous system. Maybe it's sort of in a heightened state of guarding and protection because of the pain or because of a history of injury in that area. And maybe if we can calm your sympathetic nervous system, you'll be less sensitive to pain. If you're feeling less pain, you might find that you can, that the muscles are a little bit softer and more relaxed. You might find that you can move a little bit better and that your function improves, that there's, there are these other things that sort of surround the central issue in someone's mind that they might not be aware of. And there can be a cascade effect. If we can, if we can interact with something with one part of this person's overall experience, then there can be a follow on effect to the other things that are happening at the same time. And so we can engage our clients in a conversation in that way that, that hopefully helps enlighten them to the many other issues or the multi-factorial <laughs> to draw on a, a buzzword, the many things that are that are happening in this experience, contextual, physiological, et cetera. And that's a really important thing that we need to kind of embrace is the complexity, like the multifactorial. And yeah, it's it's a word that it gets thrown around a lot, but it's it's true. And and the the simplistic approach of, you know, you have pain because scar tissue, all you need to do is break that down and you'll feel better, is I think it's, it's 
was your word you use myopic? I think that's yeah. it's, it's it's too it's yeah it's it's too small. You know, we know. I think what we can say is if someone has pain around a scar, we can say, okay, it hurts because there's some type of activation of the the nociceptors in this area. And that's contributing to creating these noxious stimuli, which is part of your pain. But, you know, do we, do we need to, let me put this air quotes, even though it's going to be a podcast, so no one can see it. And, you know, do we need to break that down to, to help you feel better? I would say, well, probably not because you can't, but it doesn't mean mm-hmm. you can't influence the sensation in that area. And when mm-hmm. we look at like the research and, and, and you know, this, I'm going to make, I'm going to read a quote here from this other paper, the physical management of scar tissue paper. It says that, uh, a meta-analysis shows that physical scar management has a significant positive effect to influence pain, pigmentation, pliability, pruritus, surface area, and scar thickness compared with control or no treatment. Unfortunately, massage on its own is not shown to be very effective. It should be used as part of an overall treatment plan. So we can have an influence on pain. We can help with the potentially with the the overall presentation of the scar, but that's only one, it's only one piece, right? Uh, another thing that, that one of this paper, I think it's this paper when the other one said is, is like that the silicone strips are just as effective as massage and cheaper. So, you know, it, it's not just the massage and that, that's, you know, the other, the evidence I think is, is quite strong in saying that, a lot of the things that we believe are just not supported. They're beliefs. If we look at the advice that patients are given post-surgically in hospital, um, certainly in the cancer world, um, they're always encouraged to uh, almost immediately start doing some gentle massage, some gentle manipulation of the tissue. Um, Remember, people are going to be uh, they're going to have um, bandages and wound care over the surgical incision for, you know, possibly a couple of weeks, but to gently, gently start moving the tissue. Um, and of course, they're they're encouraged to get up and start moving around again. Nobody's told to lie perfectly still. And all of this contributes to um, a good healing of the surgical field, I think, because it can help maintain um, good circulation. Obviously, there's going to be post-surgical inflammation. That's part of the healing process, and that needs to be there. Um, but you don't want to have excessive swelling because that can cause some problems in itself. And I think moving around helps the body just keep the fluid moving in and out and in and out and sort of control excessive fluid buildup. I think something that we don't talk about enough, and this is my this is my speculation i doubt very much there's any research on this but in my experience i think another thing that the touch provides whether it's the patient touching the surgical site or or a, a therapist touching the surgical site the surgical field the area around is it helps the patient integrate how their body has been changed into their sense, their overall sense of themselves. So obviously there might be some numbness following the surgery, so they're not gonna have full sensation. That hopefully will come back gradually. Sometimes it doesn't come back fully. It's common after mastectomy for women not to have feeling on their chest, particularly with a breast reconstruction, an autologous breast reconstruction. Um, But I think psychologically as well, 
um, they've gone through a lot of trauma uh, with, with the whole psychology around the disease of cancer, the physiological trauma of the surgery, and, and their body has been changed and their sense of their body and how it represents themselves, their femininity, their sexuality, possibly not always. But I think that um, because we are on a continuum, we're not two separate spheres of physiology in one sphere and psycho-emotional experience in a different sphere. We are in a continuum. And I think that incorporating some kind and gentle and sensitive and intelligent touch helps integrate all of these different aspects into someone's overall sense of themselves. And I can't stress enough how important I think that is for someone's long-term well-being. It's not healthy to go through life feeling that a part of your body is diseased or off limits or um, shameful because of how it looks or you know damaged or ugly or um, scary. We have to have overall a sense of living in our bodies and living well in our bodies and having a good relationship with our bodies. So powerful what you just said there. And if we look at, so bring, bring in some research to what you said, what you said is spot on is the, that sense of ownership and that uh, sense of, I think the word is it somato perceptual organized reorganization. I think is, is, is a term that they use in, in the one paper on the science of touch, I think is what it's called. And when they talk about the touch, basically bring that sense of ownership and that awareness of like your body part and helping to like recognize it as part of you again. Um, somebody can tell me if I'm wrong, right? If I'm using that term inappropriately. But anyway, what you said there is is, is so true. And, and it's really important as part of the whole healing or, or recovery process. It is. And Eric, you've just reminded me Several years ago, when I was doing research for a paper that I wrote, I came across somehow that the somewhere I found the old English word for healing, which is halen, H-A-E-L-A-N, I think. The old English word for healing, halen, meant not just to cure, but to make whole again. And I have always loved that because I think it reinforces that what we are doing uh, as manual therapists is helping people become whole again and how absolutely important that is in their healing process and in their recovery. Wow. That's On a I different note, one thing I've wondered about and I've never looked into, but as our bodies are changed, let's let's keep it simple and say somebody has a mastectomy and so part of their body is surgically removed does the homunculus change and does the manual therapy that we provide and the sensation that the person feels in response to our manual therapy does that help the homunculus adapt to the changed body what kind of sensory input is the brain receiving from this post-surgical body. I have no idea. I've never looked into the research. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. There, I don't know how it stands up to 
newer research, but I, I know, uh, I say his last name, Ramachandran in like the late nineties did a bunch of research on like phantom pain and changes in the homunculus. And they made some, I know some of the early pain science, I don't know early, but you know, pain science stuff around that time, the early two thousands, I think even explained pain and their first two editions, they may have talked about that kind of re reorganization. I don't know if it's, if that still stands up. I don't know if that's ever, if that was just a hypothesis and it has never been proven or if there's actually evidence to support, it. I'm not really sure, but that's a, a good, good question. Experiment. I think I have heard recently that the homunculus doesn't reorganize itself after um, a limb amputation, for example. There's a recent paper that was just published last year, I think 2023, on common shoulder impairments following mastectomy. And to my surprise, they included phantom pain as one of the common experiences that women might experience following a mastectomy. So the same thing, a part of the body is amputated. I've never heard of this before. I've never encountered anybody who, who experiences this. Um, interestingly, also, they noted that the number of people experiencing phantom pain after mastectomy has been diminishing over recent years, which they attributed to better surgical techniques. Interesting. Yeah. But again, I suspect that there's a lot of supposition happening here. We don't know 100%. And that makes me wonder if phantom pain was a bigger topic of discussion just in in the zeitgeist, you know, say 20 years ago, then did women following a mastectomy, were they somehow primed to feel phantom pain or what they thought was phantom pain and what they might describe as phantom pain uh, more so than now, where, as I said, I've never heard somebody even suggest that this would be something that would happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, that's a good point. And, and I think that when we look at some of the, a lot of the research, like the, the earlier pain research, the stuff that was really kind of, you know, I, I jumped he he like head first into a lot of it. Uh, I'll admit that. And I'm sure I know, I'm hopefully I'm not the only one. I'm sure I'm not. Um, there's a lot of priming that's done in that type of research. Like, oh, do you feel this? Does this hurt more? Do you feel fat? Like, Oh, can, does it feel like that limb should be there? Like you're kind of asking a very loaded question. And so people yeah. often uh, kind of, they, they can be primed to, to, to responding in, in a way that might be favorable to the, uh, to the examiner. So I think we have to be, again, be critical and be mindful of, of those types of findings for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, one thing we're not, I didn't, we wasn't sure if we'd get into it or not today, but one thing I did want to say to people that are listening is if you want to read more about scar tissue and, and the role of manual therapy, if you just go into scholar.google.ca or .com, if you're not in Canada, and you, and you, and you go and you look for understanding and approach to treatment of scars and adhesions by Susan Chappelle, she's a massage therapist based here in BC. And she's got a, a book chapter. It's free and you can just download it or just click. There's a, web, there's a website for it. And she talks all about uh, scars and adhesions and kind of goes into, you know, what do we know? What do we, what do we not know? 
for those of you that don't know Susan Chappelle, she's the one that uh, did a paper well over a decade ago on doing uh, mobilization and little massage on rats after they'd had their abdomens cut open. And her stuff has often been used to support the role of visceral massage and scar massage. And her research doesn't find that even in, and in, even in this book chapter, she says, that's not what it says, <laughs> but it's often, again, there's that kind of use and abuse of the information to, to support a, a narrative that people want, you know, just before we leave, just a couple little quotes I wanted to read from this, which I thought kind of fits in this whole idea of like, you know, scar massage as being something that I think is, is made bigger than it really should be. Uh, she says, as a profession, manual therapists have long held the belief that local restrictions and tissue movements can result in more global dysfunction. There's little support for this concept. That's something we see all the time, right? Oh, you've got this injury over here and that's going to cause this pain way over here. It's a belief. Again, there's no research. Uh, she does also say that the tissue that has been mobilized early was much more prone to re-injury. So that's oh, like, that's so interesting. But that goes back to what we said earlier too, is, is like how much mobilization, how much yeah. like we need people to move. But I guess, again, it's that there's probably that sliding scale of what is too much or not. Um, one thing she says too, she said, procedures used to reduce the burden of adhesions. So they talk about adhesions of things that are occurring like, they're talking about in the abdomen, usually after surgery, not... Not like the ISTM and Graston adhesions where every little bump thing is supposed to be something you can break down with a tool. That's not how adhesions is used in the medical community. It's something that we have in the manual therapy community we've kind of taken on. Um, it says that anyway, procedures used to reduce the burden of adhesions in clinical practice have not shown clinical effectiveness and have lacked scientific validity. Goes on to say in her, in her chapter that the only way that you can actually break down an internal adhesion is through surgery to go in there and, and remove it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to quote, she even quotes her, her, her rat study. It says, in a rat model, visceral massage immediately following surgery interfered with, or with the formation of post-operative adhesions, but failed to significantly reduce already formed adhesions after one week. So doing something might, it says, interferes with formation of post-operative adhesions. We don't necessarily know if that's good or bad. Mm -hmm. Did you delay the, the, the healing process? Did you make the uh, the adhesions that uh, maybe they didn't he uh, uh, heal as strong. We don't know. So we have to be very careful of extrapolating that research to the uh, bigger world of scar and adhesion massage, because her paper doesn't say that it doesn't support a lot of the claims that people make from it. Lastly, I just wanted to read this quote here. And I think this is great. It says, for the most part, people seek care from manual therapists for pain relief. When a link is made between a treatment and pathology, such as scar or an adhesion, it may be presumed that there is also some connection between the pathology and the symptoms, and thus neurology. Every injury also involves nerves of some caliber. Mastectomy surgery involves cutting many intercostal nerve branches, and even a small cut in the skin damages a few axons. These damaged axons remain alive and immediately start to regenerate. For the most part, nerves regrow appropriately, but in many cases they do not and can lead to persistent pain. I think if we just take this back to what we do as massagists and manual therapists is that we help people that hurt. We help them hopefully experience less pain. If our focus is on trying to change scar tissue, then we are probably 
removing that focus on what matters most is the person and their experience of pain. We, if we can just flip that script a little bit to focus more on the person and not on the tissue, like you said earlier, it's multifactorial and we'll probably have better, uh, the person that comes to seek our care will probably have better, more meaningful outcomes. Completely. I completely believe that. I, in my course, my online course on oncology massage, I invited some of my patients to contribute reflections for me to share with the learners. And I asked them, um, what did they want RMTs to know about working with people with cancer? And one of my patients sent me something that said, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but she said, although I had surgery in one part of my body, the rest of my body felt beat up and bruised and sore. I really appreciated that you asked what I wanted to focus on today. And that's such a good reminder that we are dealing with a whole person. We're not just dealing with one site of injury or surgery or dysfunction. We need to look at the whole person and how they're feeling and, and what they're hoping to get out of their massage interaction with us. And that we should ask them. We can't presume to know on their behalf what it is that they need that day. I think that's a perfect way to end this, Susan. Excellent. Thank you for being here. <laughs> And uh, until next time. Thanks so much, Eric. As always, it was a pleasure chatting with you. And my brain is stirring and moving with all kinds of new ideas and questions. So thanks for that. Oh, you're welcome. That's, that's always the goal. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a five-star rating and share it on social media. You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook by searching at Eric Purvis RMT. Now, please head over to my website, ericpurvis.com, to see a full listing of all my live courses, webinars, and self-directed course options. If you'd like to connect with Susan, she can be reached via her website, which is www.susanshiptonrmt.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.